0: this morning. If you would take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of James, James chapter number one is where we're going to be starting off this morning, and it is a privilege to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning, and I don't take that responsibility lightly, and I pray that the message this morning that God has laid on my heart would be a blessing to you as well. One thing I remember from being a teenager is looking at adults and being able to tell if they were just putting on a show We're good about putting on a show in church. We're good about getting all dressed up, uh, putting on your Sunday best, and coming to church and putting on a show for everybody. Uh, You hear, uh, and maybe this has happened in your family, you're on your way to church, and everybody's yelling and screaming at each other, and mom's angry because the kids uh, were on their way to church, and they ate Doritos, and they got Doritos all over their Sunday clothes, and the mom's yelling at the kids, and the dad and the mom are fighting, and then all of a sudden, you get to church, and the doors of the van open, and it's, why, good morning, brother. How are you doing? Oh, so good to see you. Oh, we are so happy to be, we are just the perfect family. And uh, and you can probably look and tell, you know, there's probably a little more going on. there. We've all had that time, right, that bad Sunday morning where everything in the world happened and Satan was working and trying not to get you to church. Uh, but there's some people who put on a show for their entire life. And as a teenager, I remember looking at some adults and going, There's something about them. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but they're fake. They are so fake. They come to church. They smile. They pray. They say the these and thous. Uh, They're here every service, but they're fake. And there was nothing more discouraging to me as a teenager than to look at people who were fake, teenagers who were fake, adults who were fake, leaders who were fake. Uh, And this next three services tonight in tonight's service and the Wednesday night, I want to preach to you a short series in my favorite book of the Bible, and that is the book of James. Uh, And it's a series that I've entitled, Are You the Real Deal? Are you a real Christian? We're going to get real here today, and we're going to talk about some things, and you may, uh, even when I was studying for this, I went, you know what, ouch. I stepped on my own toes. The Bible's working in my heart. And, And there may be some of those times in the services, the next three services, but I hope that this will be a practical, practical passage for you as we study in the book of James. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know much about purses. I don't know much about fashion. Uh, I wore plaids and stripes together one time and I found out that that was not something you were supposed to do. My wife helps keep me on track. Uh, But this, how many of you know what this word is up here? How many of you, anybody own a coach purse? Okay, we have a couple in here, good deal. I did not know what coach was until I met my lovely wife and she informed me what coach was. And it was her dream, her dream to have a coach purse. She wanted a coach. And if you know anything about coach, they are not cheap. I was a poor college student. I could not afford to buy her a coach purse. I went into the coach store one time and felt very out of place. (laughs) This is not my store. I'm out of here. But she finally, we got married. We moved to New York, and somebody bought her a coach purse. It was not me, I know. Shame on me. It wasn't me to buy her one first. I still to this day have not bought her a coach purse. (laughs) I need marriage counseling. If anybody's a counselor out here afterwards, uh, I'll get up with you afterwards. But we were uh, were there, and we lived in New York City for a year, and somebody bought her a coach purse. I believe it was for Christmas, and uh, it was a purple coach purse, and that is not her favorite color. She does not like purple. If you ask her her least favorite color, she'll tell you her least favorite color is purple. But she got this coach purse, it was purple, and she carried that thing everywhere because it was coach, not because it was purple. Uh, But we got to looking at it, and I said, you know what? We found out from the person, they only paid about $40 for that coach purse, brand new. I said, that is not how much a coach purse costs. I said, I wonder if it's real. So we live in Brooklyn, New York. I said, let's go over to Manhattan and find a coach purse store, and let's take it in there and see what they say. Uh, And so I learned so much about purses. If you want to know if your coach purse is real, bring it to me. I am a professional now. I will tell you. We took that purple coach purse in there. It was beautiful. had the tag on it. It even had the little mark inside that said, this is an authentic coach purse and had the serial number there printed inside. I said, so it's probably real. Surely a fake coach purse doesn't have a fake serial number inside. So we took it into the store and the lady opened it up. And after about 20 seconds of looking at it, she goes, it's fake. (laughs) Now, how can you tell in 20 seconds that it's fake? It looked like a coach purse. It had the C on the outside. It had the little metal tag hanging on it that said C. It had the emblem inside that said coach. But she said, you see the C's printed on the lining of this? She goes, we don't normally do that. Normally, it's just a plain lining inside. Uh, She said, you see how this is uh, printed on? The uh, serial number was printed onto a leather tag. She goes, coach does not print on a leather tag. We emboss it. So it is going to be stamped in there. It will not be printed on. She goes, this is a fake coach purse. She said, how much did you pay for it? We said it was $40. She goes, it is definitely a fake coach purse. But it looked good, except for it being purple. It looked like a coach purse. If you carried it down the street, the average person would look at it and say, that is a coach purse, but it was a fake. And as Christians today in churches, even in good churches like Bible, Bible is a great church. And I'm thankful to be here at Bible We have a lot of people that are fake, and we don't want to be that because the world can tell when you're being fake. Your kids can tell when you're being fake. Your kids can tell when you come to church and you put on a show and at home you live a completely different life, and that hurts them, and we need to be as Christians the real deal. And so that's what we're going to look at. The book of James chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting, this is a letter from James. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's open up this morning in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, for the opportunity we have to be in your house this morning and to open your word together. And I pray uh, that you would just let this message to continue to work in my heart and work in the hearts of the people here this morning, that we would be a church that is real that we would be Christians that are real here in the church, at homes, in our workplaces. Lord, may everybody be able to look at us and see your love and your life through us. We thank you for what you're going to do this morning and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us to read the Word of God every day, does it not? It also tells us to meditate and to study the Word of God. But when I study the Word of God, I always struggled with how do I go about studying? How do I go about reading and studying the Word of God? Uh, and I had a professor in college that gave me this method, and it has worked great for me. Uh, and if you're looking for a book of the Bible to study, James is a great place to start. It's practical, it's simple, it's easy to understand. So this morning, we're going to start off there. We're going to look at understanding the Bible. These are some questions you can ask. You read a passage of Scripture, write down these words on a piece of paper. This is exactly what I do if I'm going to study a passage. I write down who, what, when, where, and why. You can write down how. You can write down a couple other questions. But then we go through, and while I'm reading the passage, I start to answer those questions. So let's answer those questions this morning before we get into the bulk of the sermon. Who is this passage talking about? Or who wrote it? Well, we know first off that James wrote it, and we know that he was writing it to the children of God, to the uh, children of Israel who were scattered abroad. What was he writing? Well, if you read through the whole entire letter of James, you'll see it's a letter of encouragement. Now, that encouragement wasn't always, yeah, you're doing a great job. It was warnings. Hey, be careful. Make sure you watch out for this. Make sure you're doing this. Make sure that you're following uh, the word of God. But it was a letter of encouragement to them. Why? Or when was it written? It was written in a time of difficulty. Look at verse number one with me. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James wrote it. It was written to the 12 tribes. But look at those last words, which are scattered abroad. Now, quickly, you just read over that. You go, oh, they're scattered abroad. Cool, they're all over the place. No, Uh, what was happening here was they were under persecution. They were under intense persecution, so much so that they were scattered all over the place. They weren't together. It would be like if someone came into here to Bible Baptist Church and started persecuting Bible Baptist Church, and we all had to go separate ways. We all had to go different places. We don't have each other to lean on. I like coming to church and I like being a part of a local church because you have people that will pray for you, people that you can lean on, people that will help you, people that will encourage you. But they were scattered all over the place. They didn't have that concentrated uh, encouragement. They were under intense persecution. A lot of them were in hiding. And so it was a time of difficulty when he James wrote this letter to the children of Israel. They were scattered Why did he write the book? He wrote it to edify the saints. He wrote it to encourage them, to help them, and to make sure that even though they were scattered abroad, even though the times were tough, that they stay close to God. And so that's how I always start off studying the Word of God as I ask these questions. But let's look at verse 2, and we're going to get into the bulk of the sermon uh, this morning. There's one word in verse 2 that was a little confusing the very first time I read it. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers. What's that next word? Okay, there's about four people that are still awake. I haven't put everybody asleep yet. That's good. What is that word? Temptations. temptations. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What does that word temptations mean? Well, if you take it at face value, uh, I think of temptations and I think negative or positive. I think negative usually, right? Uh, but temptations comes from this Greek word, parasmus. This is the actual word that's used in verse 2. Uh, it's got a different ending on it, but it means an experiment, a trial or a temptation. Now, a trial isn't always a, a, a negative connotation, correct? A trial is something that God sends in our life to help encourage us. And so, temptation, the Parasmus as it comes from the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, you can Google search that and you can find it, all right? Uh, but in the Greek word Parasmus, it's used there in verse number two, but it's also used in verse number 12. If you look over there, we didn't read it. We're going to be talking about verse 12 tonight. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth, what's that next word? Temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The same exact word, all right? The same exact word, parasmus, temptation, but is used in two different lights. And so when we look in verse number two, we got to look at the differences between trials which is a test of the performance, qualities, or suitability of someone or something. How many of you guys have tests at work? When uh, I worked at MetLife, uh, we were being J.D. Power certified. And so I was on the team that was working with the J.D. Power team, and I went into an interview, and I had a test of our practices and what we did. And it was a grueling three-hour thing where I sat across the table from four men from J.D. Power and they said, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you? It was a test to see if we met certain qualifications to help make us a better company, to help us provide best world-class service. But you know, God sends trials into our life to help improve us. He sends these things to help make us better because if we never had any hard times in our life, we wouldn't grow. Man, if we never had anything difficult happen, we would get comfortable. I love being comfortable. I love a nice recliner. Uh, but I don't get much done when I'm sitting in the recliner. I end up falling asleep, watching TV, or uh, you know, just sitting there doing nothing, looking out the window. Uh, but it's when we're uncomfortable, when God moves us, and when difficult things happen to us that we grow, that we become more like Christ. And so those trials come, and they're not necessarily, even though we might look at them as a negative thing, they're to help make us better. But then we have temptations. Uh, and the definition from Webster's Dictionary is the act of tempting or the state of being tempted Two and that last word is key, evil. It's a negative connotation. Evil is always bad. Sin is always wrong. There's never a time when it's right to do wrong. All right? It's always wrong. Sin is sin is sin. There's no ifs, ands, ors, or buts about it. But let's look at these differences side by side. Trials are meant to improve you, help to make you better. They might be difficult. They might be hard. You might not understand why, but they're meant to improve. Temptations are meant to tear you down. Number two... Trials, tests, are from God. They can be from God, okay? God will test us. God will help us. He'll make us uncomfortable to make us better. But temptations are never from God. God will not tempt you. God will not tempt you with evil. God will never tempt you to do wrong. God will never put that in front of you. Satan will. Satan will time and time again. But temptations in the negative sense, the the tempting to do wrong, are never from God. Uh, And then we see the word trial is used in verse 2, and then the word temptation in the negative sense is used in verse 12. The positive sense of the word is not in the negative sense, are functions of the context and not merely the words themselves. So all that to say this, I want you to understand going into this, this first verse, verse 2 is very important to understand we're talking about trials, okay? That word temptations is talking about trials that come in our life not the negative, evil sense of being tempted to do wrong. And it's all about context, context, context. And to help you understand it a little bit better, these are some words that I learned. I traveled on a, one of the groups from the colleges that are singing. I traveled on one of those groups up to the Northeast, and I learned some cool new words. Uh, I learned the word wicked. You go, wicked? You didn't know that? Yeah, in a different way. They said, that's wicked Awesome. I went, that's what? That's wicked. He said, that's wicked. I went, that's wicked? What do you mean wicked? Is wicked a bad thing or a good thing? And you had to read into the context, right, to tell, are they saying something is really, really awesome? Or are they saying it's bad? Uh, because wicked could be used in both ways. Another word that I learned uh, working with teenagers for several years is sick. Man, that's sick. Well, is it sick like... I stay away from me, lock you in a room, let's quarantine you, you're sick, or is it sick? That's awesome again, all right? So all these words that can mean double things, uh, and then you're on fire, and this one has a special meaning to me. Uh, if you don't know, I caught myself on fire in January. I got third degree burns on my hands, second on my legs and feet, uh, and when someone yells, you're on fire, you want to go put the fire out really quick, right? But when you're watching a basketball game, and you go man, KD is on fire. They're not taking hoses out and spraying them, all right? Why? Because that means something different. It's all about the context with which you use a word. If there are flames and they are on your hand and you are on fire and someone yells, you're on fire, you better find a way to put it out quick, okay? Uh, But if someone yells, you're on fire, when you're here on Tuesday nights playing basketball, don't run to the kitchen and get some water. It means something completely different. And the same thing with these two words here temptations. Let's go back to verse number 2, James 1, and I just have three points for you. Three points this morning in the main part of our sermon. Easy, easy to take notes on if you like taking notes. Just three different things. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Number one is to count. Count it all joy. When we have difficult things that happen in our life, that's the last thing I wanna do. When I'm going through a hard thing, when I caught my hand on fire in January and I was sitting in an emergency room in Charlotte, North Carolina for seven hours, six hours, uh, till two o'clock in the morning, I was not sitting there thinking, Praise God, I caught my hand on fire. Praise God, I might not be, ever be able to play the piano again. I'm so excited to be able to be, go through this trial, to go through this hard time. I, it just thrills my soul. That wasn't my thought. It wasn't my thought when they transferred me to the burn center that, oh, yes, I get to go to another hospital and sit for another seven hours. I am so excited about this. I'm so excited about having all these procedures that are going to have happen and, and possible surgeries. I'm just, you know, I... God, thank you so much. But the Bible says here, count it all joy. And it doesn't mean that you're going to go and be like, yes, thank you, God, for choosing me to go through another hard time. I'm so excited about this, but it's a mindset. God, this is hard. God, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I don't know why I'm having to go through this difficult time, but I know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. I know that God, I love you. I know that I'm serving you. And I know that whatever this is for, that you'll receive glory from it. And while I don't understand God, teach me. Grow me. I'm excited to see what you teach me, Lord. Now you might not be on the outside jumping for joy. If you were, I'd be worried about you. All right? I would be. I'd be worried about your mental state. But God says, hey, we need to count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, not because you're going through a hard time. What does the Bible say next? Knowing this. I want you to count it all joy, God says, James says here to the children of Israel, I want you to count it all joy knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience. I want you to count it joy not because you're struggling, not because you just were diagnosed with this terrible disease, not because your kid just went off and did something that you're disappointed about, not because you're struggling financially, but I want you to know that when I put you through these things and these trials and these tests, I'm doing it for your good. God's not out to hurt us. God's not out to say, I want you to struggle. Oh, they look man... They look like they are doing, they're too successful. I've blessed them too much. I'm just going to hurt them and test. I'm going to take everything away from them. No, that's not how he looks at us. He goes, you know what? Daniel can grow. I see this in Daniel's life, and I think he can go to the next level. So he trusts us and he tries us because he loves us. Why do we discipline our children? Because we get some enjoyment out of sending them to timeout and hearing them scream, or we get some personal enjoyment from just making our kids' life better miserable. That's what I thought about my parents. They just like making, they enjoy making my life miserable. But that's not why we disappoint our kids. Why do we disappoint our kids? Because we want them, we don't want them acting like they're two years old when they're 18 years old. And I've seen some 18 year olds that act like two year olds. It is not a pretty sight. It is cute when they're two years old and they're, okay, I'll say it's somewhat cute when they're pitching a fit and they're like, oh, that's adorable. But when you're in the grocery store And there's a 14-year-old going, I really want that toy! Ah!" And they're screaming, and you look at them and go, I'm glad you're not my kid. Because why do we discipline them? Because we don't want them acting like that when they're 16. Why does God test us and put these trials? Because He doesn't want us staying baby Christians. His desire for us is to grow and to have the most abundant, fruitful Christian life that we can have, but we're never going to have that if we're not growing in Christ. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, different things, different trials, different tests. And I guarantee you, if I were to talk to every one of you today, everybody in here is going through something. Some people are going through some very, very difficult things right now uh, that I have no idea about that maybe nobody has any idea about, but you're struggling with that. It could be family, it could be personal, it could be something uh, that even your own spouse doesn't know about, but everybody is facing something today but we need to count it all joy, knowing that God is going to work it together for good. He's doing it to help you grow, to increase your patience. Now, patience is one thing I learned that you never, that I never pray for. I don't want God to give me extra patience. I don't want to go through the trials and the different things that are going to teach me extra patience. Uh, when I was first a youth pastor, I preached for extra patience, and God gave us some great teenagers that helped me and to uh, to grow in patience. And we have these things, but look at the next verse with me. What does it say? Trying your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God's gonna send us these trials. He's gonna send us, and we have a choice, okay? We can choose to sit back and go, I can't believe you're doing this to me, God, and to pitch and to have a little pity party and to say, God, why are you doing this and why is this happening? And I just quit. I can't do this anymore, God. I can't. Or we can choose to let God work, to let patience have her perfect work. So number one, we need to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work of patience, but you must let patience have her perfect work. God wants to make you perfect. He wants to make you more like him every single day. But if we don't allow God to work in us, then we're never going to grow. If every time that trial and that test comes, we just shut down and we quit, we're never going to grow. We're never going to do anything. We're never going to be able to get, do more and more and more for God. Because we're not letting God work. And we'll see this later on in the book of James if you were to continue to read. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. It's easy to be here and on the highs when we're doing great. When God is good uh, and we have our health and we have money and we aren't going through anything super difficult right now. It's easy to say God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. You know, brother, it's so good to see you in church. God has just been great to me. Uh, I just got a raise at work. I just, man, God is good. But then when you lose your job, you get laid off. (coughs) When you get that medical diagnosis, when your kid goes off and does something, it's harder to go. God, God's good. Even when my difficulties, God is still good. Even when my circumstances don't seem good, God is still good. God is always good. I liken it to, I love music, I liken it to an orchestra director. I had the privilege of playing with the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra for a pro amateur concert they did just over a year ago, Uh, and Warren Green was the director, and I got to sit right in front of him, the most intense, most nerve-wracking thing ever to be sitting around all these amazing violin players and have the conductor right there who's world-renowned, just led the uh, orchestra for the royal wedding. Somebody got married in England, I'm not sure who. But he led their their wedding uh, orchestra. I mean, they're just world-renowned people. They are famous people, and here's little old Daniel. uh, And I got to play with them. But he, a couple times in the music, he didn't like the way it was sounding. And so he, and Brother Lee's probably experienced this before, Anybody who's directed any kind of music, choirs, orchestras, he looked at us and he goes, violins, I want you to keep it down here. Now, you've got to understand, this part of the piece called for very, very loud. It was fortississimo, which is three Fs, which is the loudest, well, it's not the loudest you can get, but it's pretty loud, okay? It was this big bang, but he said, hey, I want you guys to keep it down. And my first reaction was, no, 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 no. The piece calls for Fortissimo. I am going to play as loud as I can. But he was the director. He was up here. He was elevated above everyone else and could hear everything that was happening. He could hear the trombones. He could hear the cellos. He could hear the percussion. He could hear the violas. And he was getting a full picture. And he told us to be quiet because we were sticking out. He told us to be quiet because to help the blend and everything that was happening that we couldn't see or hear He knew. And God's the same way. God is directing our lives from heaven. And a lot of times these trials and tests come and we go, God, you don't, wait, God, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what's happening. I don't need this right now in my life. God, this is the last thing I need. But God has seized the full picture, okay? God's directing us. And a lot of times as Christians we get in our mind we know better than God. We would never say that out loud. I don't think anyone in this room would say I'm better than God. But we start to question God and go, God, I don't think you know what you're doing in this situation. We must let God work, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When you're going through a difficult time, that's when people get to see the real you. When life is good, it's easy to put on a show. When life is going bad, it's hard. P. Your true colors start to show. When you're having a bad day at work, Man, your coworkers know what your true colors are. Man, when I worked in the public sector, there was a woman at work. She was a pastor. Uh, she she was this super good Christian, but she was having a bad day at work one day and cussed her supervisor out. And I said, you know what? You call yourself a Christian. You even say you're a pastor. And here you are acting like this because you had a rough day. But those are her true colors starting to show through, okay? When you're going through these trials and these tests that God sends in our life, that's when people start to see your true colors. But that's when we shouldn't be falling away from Christ and starting to go away, but we should be drawing closer to Christ. Because to get through those, we need God. Draw nigh unto God. We'll see, and we won't have time in the next three services to go all through the book of James. But in James 4, it says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. And those difficult times is when we need to grab onto God, grab onto his word and hold it tight because we need God through those hard times. Don't push him away. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, how many know everything there is in the world? Anybody? Nobody. How many of you know 100% about the Bible? You could answer any Bible question I were to ask you today. Nobody's hand went up. Now, if you ask that to teenagers, I always have one teenager that goes, I know everything. Ask me anything. I go, Listen, you don't know everything. Uh, and we probably all thought that at one point in our life, right? Before I went to Bible college and started studying the Word of God, I thought I knew a lot about the Bible. My dad's a preacher. I grew up in a preacher's home. So I was around the Bible all the time. If there was a service our church was having, we were there. If there was a service within a one-hour radius of our church, we were there. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, sometimes twice on Friday, sometimes three times on Saturday. But we were always in church, so I knew a lot about the Bible. But then I started to study more and more and realized I know nothing. God's always teaching me something. No matter how many times I read through the book of James, God teaches me something different every single time. If any of you lack wisdom, which we just established as everybody in here today, okay? Everybody lacks some kind of wisdom. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm not saying you're not intelligent, but we don't know everything. So if any of us lack wisdom, what's those next words? Let him ask of God. Number three, and last what we'll look at this morning, is ask. Let him ask. Ask of God. We're good about asking things. I love my phone. If I don't know something, I don't know what I did before my cell phone. If I don't know a question, I'll ask Siri. Siri knows everything. You ask Siri a question and she will tell you. You ask Siri to sing you a song and she'll sing you a song. Uh, But we can find a lot of things online, okay? You can go to Google and you can type in your uh, illness that you have, your symptoms that you're experiencing. And uh, I had self-diagnosed my time several times with a brain aneurysm. I've diagnosed myself with terminal cancer. Uh, and it was just a cold. Uh, you can find a lot of information online, okay? And a, but a lot of times when we're struggling spiritually, when we're struggling with different things, the last place we go to is God. The last person we ask is God. The last counsel we seek is your pastor, your Christian friends. We need to ask of God. If we're lacking wisdom, if we need to know something, if we don't understand something, let him ask of God. Why? Because God giveth to all men liberally. And uprighteth not. So we need to ask God because He wants to give you things. He wants to give you understanding. He wants to give you wisdom, but He wants you to ask for it too. Have you ever not given your kids something because they didn't ask you for it? You're just waiting for them to ask. My son has this terrible habit. He's three, of just going ah oh, ah oh, ah oh, ah oh, oh, and pointing at something, and I just sit there and stare at him. Ah ah ah. I go, yes. What does ah oh mean? You are perfectly capable of speaking. Uh, And he goes, may I have Doritos, please? Yes, I wanted you to ask for it. I knew he wanted Doritos. That was the only thing on the counter that he could have been pointing at, but I wanted him to ask for it. And God wants us to ask him for wisdom. God wants us to. You're struggling, you're reading your Bible. Have you ever come across a passage and go, I don't understand that? Yeah, all the time. We need to ask God, hey, give me understanding, give me wisdom To understand this passage of Scripture, ask God because He giveth it to all men and women, okay? He giveth it to all men, women, children, everybody. He giveth it to everybody liberally. He giveth not just a little bit, but He'll give you even more. And uprighteth not, and it shall be given Him. That's a promise from God's Word. If we ask God for wisdom, if we ask Him to show us, give us understanding, He will. Give it to you, and it shall be given him. I'm finishing quickly, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I am guilty of this over and over and over and over again in my life, asking and never expecting God to answer. Asking for something, and just knowing that's never going to happen. I wasn't asking in faith. Now, there's been some times where I haven't asked in faith, and God has blessed. My senior year of college, in order to take my finals, I needed to pay another fifteen hundred dollars. I was working forty hours a week as Arby's at Arby's as a manager, and I was working as much as I could, but I couldn't pay that last bill, and there was just no way. And my friends were going, "Somebody just sent me fifteen hundred dollars in the mail." My own fiancé called me one afternoon, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I'm not going to be able to graduate. I'm supposed to get married in a month. I don't know how this is going to work. And she goes, guess what? I wasn't going to be able to graduate because I owed $1,000, and somebody I don't know who just gave me $1,000. And I went, God, I've been asking you. And then it hit me. I haven't been asking, expecting God to answer. I've been asking, expecting God not to answer. And for wisdom and for all these prayers, we ask God, but we don't ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Because God said, if you're wavering, if you don't ask in faith, you're like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. If you've ever been on a ship, on a boat, on a cruise, and those waves start to go and you start to get seasick, that boat has no control over where it's going if you're in a bad storm. Wherever that wave pushes it, it's going to go. And that's how we get in our Christian lives. Wherever the wind blows us, that's where we end up. And God says, I want you to ask in faith because I will answer you. Now, sometimes it's not the answer we want, okay? But if we ask for wisdom, he promises us in this passage, he'll give it to us. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. To finish it up this morning, uh, are you the real deal? Are you a real Christian? If we were to come, just like we took that purse in New York City to the coach store to have them look at it, to have them tell us if it was real. If we were to take your life and to put it up here on the screen and to go through the evidences in your life, to ask your co-workers, to ask your husband, to ask your wife husbands, to ask your kids. If we were to ask God, would we be able to put that stamp, that seal that you are a real Christian? I hope so. And I hope that you strive every day to be more like Christ. And tonight we're going to talk, keep on going in the passage of Scripture and talk about the negative sense of the word temptation uh, from verse 12 on. Uh, And you know, the Bible has a wealth of knowledge. God has a wealth of wisdom, but he wants us to ask. When we're going through those trials, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. He wants you to ask him. So how will you act when those trials and those temptations come? Will you shut down or will you draw closer to God? Will you become a better Christian or will you become a dropout Christian? I hope that every single one of us in here today will strive to draw closer to God every single day. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and close in a word of prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the, your word. I thank you for the promises in your word. And Lord, I know that in this room, in this group this size, that there are people that are going through some difficult times. They're going through some trials. They're going through some tests. And Lord, I pray that you would just help them to draw an eye into you.